chapter 45 of Isaiah, uh, and so I'm going to start uh, today where I think we left off last week on verse 8. So this is Isaiah chapter 45, verse 8, and we'll stop there. Now remember that in kind of in this section here, Isaiah is naming Cyrus by name. He's prophesying about this king who's going to facilitate and cause the Jews to come back to Israel. So Isaiah is also prophesying the Babylonian captivity, which hasn't even happened yet. So he's prophesying the Babylonian captivity, and then he's prophesying the regathering of Israel under Cyrus. So this is all pretty amazing here. This stuff hadn't happened yet. So Isaiah is looking out into the future and doing this. So um, verse 8 uh, he, in terms of all of this which I just said the, the exile, the regathering the rebuilding of the temple and all of that that you had out in the future uh, Isaiah in verse 8 says shower O heavens from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit let the earth cause them both to sprout I the Lord have created it so, verse 8, what is all this exile and captivity about and return? Uh, what's, what's all this about anyway? Well, there's a new day coming from Israel for Israel, even after the captivity. And there's a benefit coming for the whole world. We've said this many times. As in, Israel now is the evangelist for the whole world. And uh, their task is to bring the worship of Yahweh, one God, into the whole world and to defeat all of these pagan gods that are all around, I mean, everywhere. And as we read Scripture, we know that even the, the Israelites didn't get over this very easy. I mean, this paganism and idols and all this stuff until, until it seems... The, the exile, the captivity, the exile, captivity, and return, and it seems they got over it <laughs> at last. That was a hard, uh, a hard route they had to go uh, to get over that. Sometimes I have to go a hard route to get over some stuff in my own life. <laughs> Can anybody say amen? <laughs> Sometimes God teaches us I mean, so he teaches us the easy way, but sometimes he teaches us the hard way. And uh, so sometimes we wake up and smell the coffee, and that's good if we can do that. Okay. Verse 9, therefore, we might question God's method in all of this with all of this death and destruction for Israel in the future exile and captivity and then return so verse 9 woe to him who strives with him who formed him a pot among earthen pots 
Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Verse 9 is the familiar analogy of the potter and the clay. This is used several times in scripture. Yeah, Jeremiah is another good uh, place. This is you, and uh, indeed, it's used in the New Testament. I can't, I can't call the recall exactly where, but this potter and clay image is used a lot. That God's the potter, we're the clay. So, why is it that the pot can say to the potter, "What are you doing?" <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and in verse ten, should a person speak poorly? of all of these little images of God that are being born into the world. No. I mean, what is God doing with all of these human beings that are being born into the world? Well, all of these human beings bear the image of God, you know. And uh, so, I mean, He's converting a large number of them for His honor and glory. I mean, that's... So, why... What are we talking to God about? About I don't, I don't I don't really know how to apply this. I mean, it's just well. I mean, well, it's uh, pot, you know, this is, in my view, it says the pot shirt. You know, the, the, that's a broken pot. Yeah, it's just pieces of a pot. Mm-hmm. What will happen? You know, when you're making a pot, you fire it, and you see it's <laughs> bad. You just throw it on the ground and break it. It's no good. Right. You know, so that, these pieces laying on the Ground that are basically no good. Are right. Trying to tell the potter, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> how can they say that? So. Does anybody have any comment on verse ten? I'm not sure exactly how to uh, to uh, go with that. I mean, it's it's pro it's pro human being, you know. I mean, it's pro pro natalist if we could use that word. It's children who you know they regret being alive and they blame it on their parents. This is wrong. <clears throat> Yeah, this is wrong. Yeah, they don't. They can't take personal responsibility. So, I mean, we're living in that time, right? Oh now. yeah. Well. Well, this is one of the demons that my generation and the younger people in this room have to reckon with. We have to deal with the voices in society that are saying it's better that humans just don't exist at all. Wow. We have to hear a lot of that. Amazing. You know, the environment, the earth would be better if we weren't on it. That's the. <laughs> That's the. That's one of the demonic voices. Very good. Yeah. Well. Good. Okay. Well, we firmly resist these demonic voices. Okay. Verse eleven. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the One who formed Him. The One who formed Him is referring to Israel. In other words, it's it's Yahweh that's brought Israel into existence. And he's using Israel for his purposes and his glory. Um, ask of me, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. Uh, and we'll get to a better, a more incredible passage on this, but. All the host of heaven then, and uh, without running this into the ground, I'm really fascinated with a lot of this astronomy that's going on today. But all this host of heaven is uh, 
the work of God's hands. As I, I, I'm repeating myself, but you'll forgive me. Uh, some uh, scientific wag uh, has estimated the number of grains of sand on the earth. It's a big number. It's a big number. It's a big number. Then they estimated the number of stars in the universe. So for every grain of sand on the earth, they estimate there are 10,000 stars in the heavens. I mean, it's too much. I mean, it, to me, it, it's too mind-boggling. You know, it's just, I can't get my mind around. Well, uh, guess what? God created all this, and he stretched it out. And he can get his mind around it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Every star has a name. Can you imagine? There are not enough words in the human languages on earth to name all the stars. He's got a new vocabulary. Yeah. So, the universe is 16 and a half billion light years across, so they say. Uh, but is that really the end of it? Maybe it's, maybe it's bigger than that. It will be. It's too amazing. So God creates all this and he stretches it out, you know. Verse 13, I have stirred him up in righteousness. This is Cyrus now he's talking about again. I have stirred him up in righteousness and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city, here it is. He shall set my exiles free, not for a price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. So this is about Cyrus again. Uh, again, I mean, God's just sort of... Uh, uh, Isaiah is sort of uh, commending God's power and might and wisdom to us here by these discussions of the heavens and so forth. And then God is the one then who also is selecting Cyrus to do his will. So this is, this is what Isaiah is wanting to say, I think, here. Uh, all right. Um, I have a note. Yes. What do you mean? Because you know he's talking about the vast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Focusing on Cyrus. He's the same. Yes. You know how God is able to to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've got a little chalkboard in my living room that I like to write things on. And the last thing I wrote was the universe is the canvas, not the artist. Okay. Very good. I love it. Yeah. This is a, one of the ways that Cyrus is a type of Christ. All the vastness of creation is really about one, one man. Here, yeah. Wow. Okay. Very good. Brother Lewis used to say he chose some prophetically and some for salvation. And he chose them, chose them to accomplish. Exactly. For a particular purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh all right, let's see. Okay, that's verse 13. I do have a note here on uh, concerning chapters 45, verse 13 through 47.1. We're not there yet. But that basically the message here is that God is transcendent and does not need to be carried around like an idol. He has a purpose in creation and he knows the end from the beginning. So God is purposive in his creation. We're going to get to that here again in a moment. Uh, I think I'll be repeating some stuff that Craig has said too here. So, All right, verse 14. Thus says the Lord, 
the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours and shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other God beside him. Uh, these words may be supposed in some degree to be verified in Cyrus devoting the tribute coming out of these rich provinces of Egypt, Ethiopia, and Seba to the building and service of the temple. In other words, the wealth of these Egyptians and Ethiopians, really is what it's saying here, uh, is going to be used for this regathering purpose in Israel, okay? Uh, without uh, saying too much about this, uh, and somebody may be able to help me here in verse uh, about the Sabaeans, uh, I tried to look on this, and the more I looked, the more sort of unclear it became. Uh, it could be Sheba. It could be the tribes of Sheba. Unfortunately, there are three tribes of Sheba in the Bible. Um, there's a, 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 a Cushite Sheba. There's a Joktanite Sheba. And there's one coming down probably from Keturah, a Keturahite Sheba. So who's the real Sheba? Would they please stand up? Uh, it could be Seba, S-E-B-A, and sometimes these words are confused, or perhaps, uh, not confused, but perhaps it's unclear even in the Hebrew. I mean, is this Seba or this Sheba? I mean, it could depend on a dot on top of the S word, whether it's an S-H or an S. And, you know, very detailed. I'm not sure who the Sabians are, really. Uh, so I, I heard, I read that it possibly could be Yemen, which uh, I think is fine, is a good guess. Um, and so there's this continuing debate, right, among the nations about where the Queen of Sheba came from. The Arabs say, well, she came from Yemen. We have her palace there. The Ethiopians say, well, she came from Ethiopia. We have her palace here. Um my theory is that in those early days that Yemen and Ethiopia were part of the same kingdom that was ruled over by the Queen of Sheba. That's, I, I've tried to read on this. I've tried to find it. I, this is a, Croner, do you have any thought on that or any reading on that? Yeah, the kingdom was called Cush. The kingdom no, of Cush? The kingdom of kingdom. And it goes over into Yemen? It was one of the great world powers at one time. It's yes. Right. I think it helps if we remember that the... the like the way that we think of modern borders didn't work. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Right, right, right. Babylon and Assyria were not that distinct. Okay. Persia and the Medes were not that distinct. Okay. We we talk about them like they're separate because it's the only way we can talk about. Them. Right, and so Yemen and Ethiopia were probably not that distinct. Yeah. So like Ethiopia wasn't what we think of today as Ethiopia is not what the ancients thought of as Ethiopia. It was larger than that, right? The Indian Ocean, until very recently, the Indian Ocean was called the Ethiopian Sea. Wow. That's how big the kingdom was. Wow. So that would go over into the Arabian Peninsula. And that was until that. very recently. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So. Very good. Well, anyway. That's in, in this Bible, it says the Upper Nile regions. Whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. Question. You mentioned you mentioned Jokshan and others. Yeah. Most of these Arabs that were the, the, the sons of Keturah like formed what 
our friend Lewis called the true Arabs. And they were out there in the Middle East way before Ishmael was born. I mean, centuries before he was born. Yeah. So to say that the Arabs descended from Ishmael is partly right, but it's not. In the majority sense, it's not right. They were already out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wait, where are we? Verse 14. Uh, yes. Uh, they shall come over to you and be yours and shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. Um, chains here is a kind of voluntary surrender, a recognition that Yahweh is true God, salvation coming for Egypt, Ethiopia, and the Sabaeans. And it's like some other prophecies that there's a highway between Egypt and Syria going through Israel and they'll go back and forth. It's, it's salvation, it's, it's evangelism is what's being talked about there. Uh, okay, verse 15. And we're going to compare this with verse 19 and maybe say a few more things about it. Verse 15. Truly you are God who hides yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Verse 19, God says... I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. So, in verse 15, it appears there's a God who hides himself. And in verse 19, there appears there's a God who speaks more openly. Uh, which, okay, I mean, I think both those could surely be right. Prophetic speech sometimes is not entirely clear to me exactly uh, so this could be both perhaps sometimes God seems hidden sometimes open or in verse 15 uh, this could be and seems to be a continuation of Gentile speaking from verse 14 uh, so the Gentile nations say to Israel surely God is in you and there is no other no other no God beside him Truly you are a God who hides yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. So it's the Gentile nations that are speaking here, and basically what they're saying is, the true God is within you, O Israel. Uh, we don't know him. Maybe yes, maybe no. But he's within you. So, okay, I, I think that's a reading. Speaking in parables, and he says he does it, he does it so that they hear and they yeah. won't understand. If they understood that, I'll be saved. Uh, that's right. <laughs> you really don't want them to understand. Well, who can figure it out? We can't quite figure it out. <laughs> we can't quite figure it out. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to stop here. Does anybody have anything they'd like to add at this point? Or if not, I'm going to I'm going to keep on going. The hiding part. I yeah. He does hide from us, but he says, seek it. You know well, well, there you go. But he does hide from us. Well, there you go. Plus, okay. if you read after when they're talking about idols and so on, so you know, people that put stuff in front of God. Yes. You know, so that stuff, He's gonna that be stuff hides yeah, God. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Very, yes. Very good. So yeah. That is good. That's for sure. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were putting their, their understanding of the law in front of God. Exactly. And if you go to Israel today on the Sabbath, the elevators stop at every floor without you touching the button, so nobody will have to touch a button. 
it gets to be a little bit silly yeah, at some you're, point. You get in that place and you get all that stuff becomes so much more important yeah. than actually finding God. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I have a question. I don't yeah. want it to go down the rabbit trail, but um, okay. what do go you ahead. mean that he, he hides from us? Well, I think what maybe we're saying is, all of what I, I would say is that sometimes I don't see exactly what or why God is doing various things. I don't, I don't really see the point. Uh, and it goes back to what we're talking about with the, the potter and the clay. Yeah, okay. and, but later on, probably, we do see the point. We might have to wait a while, mm-hmm. you know. So, okay. Yeah, something like that. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. For sure, you bet. Uh, okay, verse 16. Um, now, the idols and the idol makers. Oh, yes, verse 16. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. So it's clear now that the idol makers go into confusion. But Yahweh is revealed to Israel and blesses them with everlasting salvation. And uh, I have a couple of references here if somebody would help me. One is in and I don't remember what they are, but we'll read them. One is Isaiah 28, 16, and another is Isaiah 9, 33. So if we could take a look at those. 28, 16, yes. Go ahead, Katie. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. <laughs> or not act hastily. Well, it's the precious cornerstone that's laid in Zion. So Israel is revealing God to the nations, right? I mean, this is how God's using Old Testament Israel to reveal the Messiah. And here he's called the cornerstone. In the New Testament, some of the New Testament writers pick this up I mean, about the cornerstone. Uh, Isaiah 9.33, if someone has that. Uh, there is no 933. There's no 9.33? I think you mean 10.33. Maybe I do mean 10.33. Let's see. Uh, no. Okay, well, if there's no 9.33, we'll not worry about that one. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we won't worry about that. Okay. Uh, all right, let's go back to Isaiah 45, verse 18. And if someone would uh, look up, Jim, you'd be a good one to look up Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. We'll read that here in connection. And also, this uh, follows along on some teaching that Craig did here recently, also out of uh, Genesis. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God. Who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. So, now we get into some of the purpose, purpose of creation. One, of the, one purpose of creation is that the earth should be inhabited. So here we are. We're fulfilling God's purpose. Um, I don't think this is the, the huge point. My my own belief, and I could be wrong, but my own belief 
is that NASA is never going to find any life on other planets. As irrational as that might seem, I mean, if there are 85 trillion other planets out there, wouldn't it be reasonable that life would be found on another planet? Well, it'd be reasonable. I just don't think it's going to happen because, because God created the earth to be inhabited. Here we are. Here we are. We're His special creation. Yeah. Um, there also, since God created the earth for a purpose to be inhabited, there is a further purpose for the creation of the earth and for its inhabitants. Hebrews 13, 20, and 21, Jim. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, making perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, and whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. There is blood associated with an everlasting covenant. Uh, everlasting means eternal. So when we think about eternity, we have to think about eternity out in the future. It goes on and on. We also have to think about eternity back in the past. It goes on and on. You, you can never get there. So wherever that eternity in the past is, maybe it's eternal in the past, there was a covenant made between the Father and the Son and it concerned blood. And this goes back from all eternity. Uh, so, I mean, based on our reading of Scripture, I mean, I think it wouldn't be too hard to know that this must concern the salvation of His people that's, that's going to be guaranteed by the blood of the Son. Right? Now, the Son of God, back in eternity past, did not have a body. But the Son of God inhabits a body through the Virgin Mary and fulfills that eternal covenant by shedding blood for us. So, and Craig brought this out in another way in Genesis. I mean, the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Where is that in the New Testament? That's in Revelation. In Revelation? But similar statements are made, including Hebrews. Okay, so the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, i.e. before the world and the universe were created. So that also is a purpose for creation. So God creates. I mean, just randomly or with, I mean, with no thought about what's going to happen? No. I'm, God puts men on the earth and then he redeems them through the blood of the Lamb. But this is all done in eternity past. So that's a great... I love that passage in Hebrews. I mean, the blood of the eternal covenant. You know? Think about it. You know, we're created in the image of God. Yeah. In other words, we have... so. God speaks, we, we have breath, which is used, exhalation of breath is used to make sound. Yeah. We have a mouth. We yeah. have all these things that can allow us to be able to articulate to yeah. our sound. You know, and so it's, it, I mean, it's for communication. So God inhabits, He, he inhabits the earth to communicate with them. Indeed. And so, and so, Creates us in a way that we can speak back to him, and we can Beautiful. talk with him, yes. we can communicate with him, and then he gives us two ears so that we might be able to hear him. Beautiful. Okay. And, uh, and so it's, it's very significant to say that the, the, he's he's inhabited the earth with those he has given the opportunity and ability to be able to communicate.
Beautiful. Yeah. You know? That's true. And so that's part, part of the longing, and that's what is fulfilled ultimately in this Hebrew passage. You know, God has to ultimately become one of us in order to show. So we can how really understand. We communicate yeah. With each other. yeah. Very so, good. So. All right. This is, this is also why Jesus can say that uh, it is a new covenant. What's the same as the old covenant? This is a complete demonstration of an eternal covenant. Uh, yes. And I think we could also say that these other covenants, like the one he made with Noah, uh, the one he made uh, what? Just through Moses. Moses, Moses and so forth, are, are sort of outworkings of that one original covenant, the blood of the eternal covenant that's already been made. Yeah. It's that gradual revelation yeah. that was completed in the world of Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. All right, let's read. keep reading here. Uh, verse 19 God says I did not speak in secret in the land of darkness I did not say to the offspring of Jacob seek me in vain I the Lord speak the truth I declare what is right well God's word is true and right he has spoken to Israel plainly that is why the nations need to look to the God of Israel for truth Yahweh Christ it goes back to this whole thing too. If we, if we are, if truth is so significant and important, which it seems to be somewhat important to us, whether we whether we see it as a relative truth, this is my truth versus your truth. I mean, we've gotten messed up with that. Oh, sure. But here's God, and Jesus even says himself, "I, I am, am the truth. truth." That's it. And so, can we not trust God as He prepares His Word for us that He will keep it true? And, uh, well, I can, but I think it depends a on. A lot of people can't because they have switched. They, well, they, they no longer are really trying to pursue that which is true. Well, they don't have the evidence yet. They don't have the faith. <laughs> they want their own, they want their own <laughs> version of truth. Though they want the old, the old, our culture wants its own version of truth. Right. That's true for you. I'm more happy for you, but this is true for me. So, sure. How can two truths be be in opposition to each other? It's irrational. It's irrational. All right, verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come, come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Hence, at least in Katie and my experience, no more merry parades. Uh, when we lived in Latin America, we saw a real cool merry parade. The problem was, as Mary passes by and you look behind, she's propped up with two by four so she won't fall over. This is, I mean, this is what the prophets are talking about all the time. They say, look, these idols you just fall over if they don't have any sticks propping them up. And, and it's true, and I'm not, and I love Catholics, but I, I'm not going to participate, okay? I, I'm not going to be there, all right? So let's get away from all this idol stuff, you know? Uh, verse 21 uh, through 23. Now, verse 21 through 23, I'm just going to read it. Uh, there's a lot of names of God here that I suspect you've heard, but we're just going to go over these again. Verse 21, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who, who told you this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me. A righteous God and a Savior, there is none beside me. 
Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. Again, this is a universal call for salvation and belief here. I mean, it, I mean, it's not just for us. I mean, it's you know, it's for the whole world that they might believe and be saved. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Just in terms of a lot of names of God here back in verse 21, was it not I the Lord? That's Yahweh there. As Craig says, whenever you see Lord in capitalized letters, it's probably Yahweh is how it's being translated here. And there is no other God beside me. That God is Elohim, which has a little bit of a plural sense to it. Uh, it's also used for other gods sometimes too, beside, beside the one God. Uh, anyway, Elohim is the God there. A righteous God. God there is the two-letter Hebrew word El, E-L. So it's just El there. It's another word for God. And a Savior. There's the Messiah word there. It's not exactly, it's, it's no doubt the same word, but it's more, it's, well, it's Mashiach without the, CH sound on the end of it. I mean, it comes from the same root. Anyway, let's call it Messiah. It's a God and righteous and a Savior. Then verse 22, uh, I am God and there is no other God there is the little word E-L, just L, another word for God. Uh, okay, so there are several. I think you know all these words or heard, heard them before. So there in verse 21, there it says, righteous God and a Savior. Yes. Is this something? Can we say this is an Old Testament example of declaring the dual nature of Christ? That, that he is both God and man. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. At least, least God's son, yeah. his son, is also God. Well, yeah. I mean, if you were preach, if you were preaching here on yeah. verse twenty-one, I mean, that would be a good way to go. I think. Yeah. Yeah. As you pointed out, there's a lot of. Uh, use of the word Savior and salvation in this passage. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it, that doesn't fit with the Jewish model of their salvation is their relationship with Abraham. Yeah. So like you're saying, this is this is broadening it out to people. You know, and it's really more of like a personal salvation uh, per in, individual. Very uh, good. And it's leading up to chapter 49. Uh, you know, now that I think of it, it's not enough for me just to save Jacob. I'm going to save the Gentiles too. Yeah. <laughs> we praise the Lord for that. <laughs> he, quotes, he, he quotes Philippians as well. Yeah, yeah we're going to get there. So, yeah. All I, right. I would yeah. just add this one thing. It seems to me that uh, what we could talk about here this morning is from the first part of the reading to now uh, that, you know, that he is uh, called. You know, he's, he's, he can't be seen, uh, and yet God is saying, well, look at all, you know, who do you think did this? Who do you think made this, you know? Um, it seems to me that there's always been in human culture a tension between uh, what we can, about the, the reality that there is a God we can't see 
and yet all humanity spends humanity spends its days trying to see it, even though he doesn't see it in the right way. You know, I mean, if you think about it, we're, we're, we live lives of, in terms of the, the high levels of society, lives 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 of seeking what can't be seen. I mean, that that's what all of that, that's what all of science is for. You know, that's what NASA tries to do when it is looking for life on other planets. You know, it's 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 determined to assume that there's something that has to be seen. Can't, the answer can't be that it can't be seen. That, that, you know, for, the, for, the, for the human being. You know? uh, and the only people that really get into those that see it in faith. So, we have to have faith. Right. Well, it's like growing up with the Roman Catholic, and we have these little cards and little things that show God the Father is this sort of gray hair and yeah. Yeah. You know, wonderful Santa Claus kind of land. And, uh, you know, but that's not the picture of God the Father. We don't know what God is. He's hidden again. But that's what Jesus said. If you've seen me, you've seen God. So, you know. Yeah, that's true. All right. Let's uh, go on. And I. I don't have a key reference uh, here that I should have written down. Uh, Craig, if you could help me here. In Hebrews, and if you could find it, there's a passage in there. I don't know if it's Hebrews 6 or around in there somewhere. It says that since God could swear by nothing greater, He swore by Himself and by two impossible things in which it is, two things in which it is impossible for God to lie. If you could find that reference, I, I think I'm going to need that one. Uh, however, in verse 23, let's read verse 23 again. By myself I have sworn, says God, for my mouth has gone out righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. By myself I have sworn, says God. I mean, so this is firm, right? By myself I have sworn. This looks back to Genesis 22.16. So I'm going to turn there. And we see the same kind of language in Genesis 22.16. I can find it. This is uh, Abraham. Genesis 22.16. Yes. Uh, with the sacrifice of Isaac and the angel st stays Abraham's hand, as you remember. And the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your only son. Uh, okay. Uh, and there's another verse in Hebrews that uses the same line, By myself I have sworn. And that, Craig, where is that Hebrews passage? Um, Oh. 13. 13? 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 13. 27. Uh, no. That's not it. No. You said invisible. No. By by myself I have sworn. Oh, that, that's what I'm looking for. And then he says by two 
things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's that passage right there in Hebrews. Um, so, uh, yep. Hebrews six eighteen. Hebrews six eighteen. Okay. Hebrews six eighteen. Yes. Yes, that's it. Uh, let's let's look back at Hebrews uh, six verse thirteen again, referring to that passage in Genesis. Um, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Okay, so God swears by himself. Yeah, that's actually 13 and 14. 13. Where now? Uh, that chapter of Hebrews 13 and 14. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply Where's that? Where? That's 13 and 14. Yes, verses. <clears throat> chapter 6, verses 13 yes. and 14. Yes, oh, correct. That's right. Well, the only reason I bring all this up is that uh, when God is making a firm promise a few times in Scripture here, he swears by himself. Oh, well, okay. The author of Hebrews goes a little further and says that since he could swear by nothing greater, he swears by himself. Okay. And then he says, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. Two, two, uh, two unchangeable things in which it is impossible to lie. Now you, um, you can't imagine how many years I've tried to puzzle on this about these two unchangeable things. I mean, it doesn't seem so hard, really. Uh, Arthur Pink says it's his oath and his promise that these are the two unchangeable things. He may be right. It seems to me, as Hebrews says, that first of all, he swears by himself. In other words, as God is going to confirm an oath, he swears by himself so as God swears by himself, what is he swearing by? Well, he's swearing by his eternality. He's swearing by his character, his holiness, and whatever else you want to add in terms of the attributes of God. Himself, he's swearing by himself. But a swearing is a covenant as well, too. When you meet in the middle and you, you give everything I have to whoever I'm in covenant with and they just trade it back and forth and you swear that this is this is forever. This is ever, this covenant will never end. Right. And so when when we have you know in uh, Abraham falling asleep and the torch comes in and meets with God in the middle, God is swearing to Himself at that moment. He's swearing by Himself, by who He is. Yeah. So that's I think that's one thing. 
And I think the second thing, as Pink would say, his oath or his promise, yeah, I mean, his word, I think it's his word. So he swears by himself about who he is, and then he swears by what he says, which is always true. And maybe I'm wrong here, but I've worked on this for a long time, and I just it's puzzled me about exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying, these two unchangeable things. So that's as well as I can do with it until this point. <laughs> Up until now. Go ahead. Jesus says God the Son is truth. Okay, yes. Therefore, if you're swearing by you know, holy truth, sure. you cannot lie. <laughs> so I, I think that's probably right. But, you know, elsewhere in, uh, in Hebrews, uh, uh, the author says, a covenant implies a mediator, but God is one. And this is the same thing. You know, God's covenant with himself requires no mediator. It is something that cannot fail because God has agreed with Himself. <laughs> and this may be trying in action, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, within the Godhead, total yeah. agreement. Yeah. Well, this gets a little bit high flying theology here. A number of years ago, a sermon I heard was listing out the things God cannot do. Ah, uh, yeah. And one is He cannot lie. He cannot lie. That's true. Lie. That's true. Can only speak That's true. All right, we're going to finish here in Isaiah 45 uh, with the last two verses, uh, which say, Only in the Lord it shall be said of me our righteousness and strength. Wow. To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. So in the Lord, and I, we might update it in a, to a New Testament sense, all the Israel of God is going to be justified and glory in Him. There's a cross-reference here. I think David mentioned it in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, uh, which, uh, well, seems to show that all of Israel shall glory in the Lord in verse Philippians 2.9 Therefore God has exalted Him, that is Christ, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So all of Israel is going to confess and glory and the God of Israel. So thanks for your attention. That's what I have for today. So we'll see you next week.